I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So Bruce Arians knew he had no challenges left when he threw a flag on Sunday, costing his team a timeout. Why did he do it? Well, you may not believe his answer. And how has the two-minute offense helped Jameis Winston begin to convince the Bucks he should be their quarterback in 2020? We'll recap the college football weekend and the new playoff rankings will be out tonight. The Lightning played well in Sweden. Was Saturday maybe their best game of the season? They host the Rangers on Thursday night. And we've got the Major League Baseball awards coming out. The Mets' Pete Alonso from Plant High School is your National League Rookie of the Year. Will Kevin Cash win the AL Manager of the Year tonight? We've got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. And, uh, Steve, so I was out at uh, One Buck Place, of course, the Bucks having their victory Monday after their win over the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, the players, the veteran players, were given the day off, kind of their version of Veterans Day. And, by the way, um, we, re- we uh, appreciate, you know, all the people – uh, that served this country, and I hope you guys enjoyed your Monday. Um, but it was just Bruce Arians talking uh, to the media, and one of the unusual things was, you know, if you recall this game, the Bucks were trailing with about six minutes to go. In fact, they were down by, uh, what, by four, I believe. And there was a play where Kyler Murray appeared to have uh, been sacked by Shaquille Barrett. His knee was on the ground when he threw a pass. And instead, it was not called. It was called an incomplete pass. It would have been a sack, a 10-yard loss, another sack for Shaquille Barrett in a fairly critical situation. But we remember Bruce Arians threw the challenge flag, and he was out of challenges, so it cost the Bucks what could have been a very critical timeout trailing at that point and you know needing a touchdown to, uh, to come back and, and try to win the game. And so we thought that maybe Arians you know, just screwed up, lost track of his timeouts, whatever. Well, on Monday, as he often does, there's, there's often a backstory to some of the stuff we watch on Sunday. And sometimes the answers we get on Sunday are not the ones we get on Monday. And on Monday, he said that, yeah, I knew that I had no challenges left, but I threw the flag on purpose because I wanted, I wanted, to, I wanted to stop the, the clock there and get on the officials because they missed the call. Okay, that's what he did. I mean, the replays were on the Jumbotron, and he wanted to make sure they saw them. And, yes, Kyler Murray's knee was down. And if you recall earlier, a few minutes earlier, he had challenged a pass interference uh, penalty that was against the Bucks that they did not reverse, of course. Um, so he was still kind of mad about that. Just a, a very, you know, they were fortunate that they, they were able to, uh, you know, to get the interception and then drive 92 yards, and it turns out they didn't need that other timeout um, to win the ball game. But, man, talk about a principle. Now, he mentioned, here's the weird thing, Steve. He mentioned that he had seen Marvin Lewis do this for the Cincinnati Bengals, and we looked it up, and it turns out that game was against the Bucks. So I don't remember, you know, I, I had no, and I'll be happy to tell you, I had no independent recollection of this game. It happened in 2014 under Lovey Smith. 
And of course, that was a forgettable year to begin with. I mean, they were two and two and fourteen, and that's what gave them, uh, you know, the number one overall pick for Jameis Winston. But apparently, but in that game, it was different because Marvin Lewis, they were inside of two minutes, okay? So nobody has a challenge. Um, once it gets inside two minutes, it's only a booth review. Um, and there was a situation where the Bucks had completed a pass to Lewis Murphy for like 20 yards and got them into field goal range, and they were trailing 14 to 13 or 14 to 12, something like that. So they were in field goal range. They kick a field goal, the game's over. Bucks are going to win. And instead... Marvin Lewis knew that the Bucks had 12 men on the field on offense, and the refs had missed it. So he threw a challenge flag knowing he didn't have any challenges, but it got the referee's attention. And they went over there, and they, they docked him a timeout. But then they, they went up to the booth, and sure enough, they counted 12 players on the field. The Bucks got penalized five yards. They lost the 20-yard gain. McCown threw, threw three incomplete passes, and they lost the damn game. <laughs> so, I mean... It worked, but that was a totally different situation, you know, than what than what Arians described. Yeah, I mean, if it was the same situation, then I think it's a great move by Bruce Arians. Mm-hmm. But the booth isn't they they don't can't institute the challenge there. That's a no. coach's only challenge time. So you right. you're literally just wasting a timeout for to prove a point. Pretty, pretty much. That's that's. I mean, that was it. He was he wanted to show, and we know, you know, Arians has a long history. Um, first of all, in the National Football League, but just in in getting on officials. And we remember earlier this year, you know, they had the game uh, was against Tennessee, I believe it was, where um, they had recovered a fumble and returned it for a touchdown, but they they ruled that they had blown the whistle dead, um, which never happens, you know, in the league. Usually they let the play go on. Uh, They did give the Bucs the ball and said it was a clear recovery, but they didn't give them the touchdown. And that would have been the difference in that Tennessee game. And he was... I'm sure, fined heavily for his comments that Monday, um, among other things, saying that the officials have no accountability within the league and they haven't had it for 40 years, and now that they have a new agreement, they won't have it for 40 more. Um, so I'm sure he got docked quite a bit of money for that. Yeah, this one this one was really weird. And, you know, we've seen other mistakes that they have had, you know, like taking the delay game penalty before the missed field goal against the Giants, and initially on Sunday, you know, Arian said that, well, it was uh, you know to make to make the field goal uh, actually better by by making it further back, which made no sense. Uh, and then the next day, he amended that to, you know, they probably should have called timeout there, um, but they wanted to get the ball in the center of the field. And of course, that five yards, as it turns out, if you watch the kick, might have been the difference between a win or a loss, you know, over the New York Giants. And of course, they wound up losing that game with the missed field goal. You know, there's there's been a lot of uh, sort of, you know, alternative endings on Monday. But this one, I, I tend to believe that he was really upset and wanted to get the officials' attention um, because usually what happens is when you're out of challenges, somebody on the staff is is in charge of getting the flag physically from the head coach. In other words, you go to the head coach and you say, okay, we're out of challenges, give me the red flag, so that them ten- so you don't accidentally throw it on the field. But he said, no, I knew I, knew I was out. I kept the flag anyway. So he basically wouldn't give it up. <laughs> So it's just a weird, I mean, it just didn't make, you know, I'm just trying to replay, like, what would have happened? Like, what if you needed that timeout, which very likely could have been the case? I mean, you know, God bless them. They they drove 92 yards after the interception by Jamel Dean. They got 49 of it on the first play to Chris Godwin. Uh, and then a couple of pass interference penalties. But if you don't have all that happen and then, you know, Peyton Barber scoring on third and goal, 
um, you're, you know, this is a highly scrutinized, you know, hey, Mr. Official, I want to get on your butt. I'm going to use a timeout to do it type situation. So um, I don't know. Very, very, very interesting story that we were told by, uh, by Bruce Arians on Monday. I think the most interesting part is Marvin Lewis did something that worked. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. Cincinnati, <laughs> th- that, that had to be – no wonder it was a forgettable game because it was Cincinnati and Tampa. But let me tell you this, okay? Now think about this play, all right? Now, and I had forgotten about it, right? We should never forget about this play, and here's why. In an alternative universe, okay, Marvin Lewis does not throw the challenge flag. The Bucks get away with that play with 12 men on the field. They kick the field goal and win. What does that do? That gives the Bucks the number two pick in the draft. They get Marcus Mariota instead of Jameis Winston, and Tennessee gets Jameis Winston. And Lovey Smith, who knows, he might still have his job. <laughs> I mean, a lot of things could have been different, right? Um, but, yeah, just that one win, and they were right there. I mean, all they needed, like they got the play that they needed from McCown uh, on the pass to uh, Lewis Murphy, and um, it got called back because, yes, in fact, they had 12 guys on the field. And they and they had guys like you you know I barely had remember like Robert Heron Jr. you know he was like a mm-hmm. a slot receiver and uh, an extra offense I think it was an extra offensive lineman that was on the field that wasn't supposed to be um, you know Mike Evans was a rookie he was on the field there were twelve of them you know it was like a team picture out there but um, they definitely had twelve guys but they would not have counted that those twelve men had Marvin Lewis not done the right thing and gotten their attention by throwing a challenge flag when he knew he didn't have. But, again, um, you know, he was just trying to get them to count the number of players. And so that in that in that case, the upside, you know, worked. He had the lead. He didn't have the ball. He didn't need the timeout. Bruce Arians could have needed that timeout desperately, and it could cost him the game. But um, I guess he proved his point. So we'll see how that, how that plays in the NFL office when they read all that, uh, you know, earlier uh, this morning. Um, some other things that we talked about, and uh, he was mentioned, Bruce Arians was mentioned in Peter King's column, um, you know, the Monday morning, well, it's no longer Monday morning quarterback, but it's it's on NBC.com. And that is that, you know, Jameis Winston's uh, performance these last couple of weeks have have really shown improvement and growth in Winston. Uh, and I, And that's talking to Bruce Arians and some other coaches over there, but Arians in particular said this to Peter King and then repeated it with us, that you know the two minute offense is a is a pretty good you know evaluation tool because you know frequently the game's on the line you need your quarterback to take you down and get a score either at the end of a half or the end of the game and Winston now has done that in these last two games rather consistently um you know he did it at the end of the first half against Seattle but if you remember, they, they, they had about 20 seconds, and they went down there. Matt Gay missed the 50-yard field goal, which would have definitely been the difference in the game. And then at the end of the game, at the end of regulation, you know, he drove them 75 yards for a touchdown. Um, that essentially sent the game in overtime when they missed the field goal. So he got them down there uh, twice in two-minute situations. And then, of course, yesterday, uh, or on Sunday, rather, the end of the first half, they just they just taken the lead. They just the Bucks just lost the lead to the Cardinals on a, on a uh, on a touchdown. And Winston had about one I think it was about one minute and took him took him down the field and got him in the end zone uh, on the uh, what was the pass to uh, to Howard I believe on the touchdown. And then 
at the end of the game, of course, we remember after the interception by Dean, they go 92 yards, uh, and he gets them down there in about a minute or so for another touchdown. So, you know, the mastery of the two-minute offense, um, you know, showing the poise and the ability to throw the ball away when he needs to, not take the sack, not have the negative play, and continue progressing, uh, you know, is sort of what Arians uh, said that he goes, look, if he continues to do this, I think there's a good chance he'll be back. And really, we talked about this, and we've talked about it before. What 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 really are their alternatives, you know? I mean, unless Jameis were to just go out there. Now, he's getting, he's on pace to have about 24 interceptions or 25, which would be a huge number um, if he keeps this up. But, you know, having said that, he's going to throw for close to 5,000 yards and, you know, maybe 28, 29, 30 touchdowns. So, you know, they're, right now their current draft order would be eighth right? Eighth overall. Well, you're not getting one of the top three quarterbacks in the eighth spot, even if you were to stay where you're at uh, without winning some games. So, I mean, I, I would assume at this point, Steve, that, that the trend is, is, is in Winston's favor, that they franchise him and, and try to keep him in Tampa. Yeah, I, I fully believe he'll be back next year. Whether yeah. it's, you know, they sign him and he's the starter, whether it's they franchise him and they still draft a quarterback that mm-hmm. they're going to groom and, and let Winston be the starter next year and, and you know, try to wait mm-hmm. on that. I mean, you know, I, I thought I thought there was a shot they did that this year when they had the fifth right. pick overall that you know, they sure. could take the, the successor and, you know, see what Jameis has for a year or two but and, and let your rookie quarterback learn behind him and not have to, mm-hmm. force to be forced to play him. They didn't do that. Of course, they took Devin White. Right. But, you know, they could do that this year. And, and franchise Jameis. So, you know, your quarterback number on the, the salary cap still not bad because your backup's a rookie. Yeah. Uh, you know, on a rookie deal, even if it's the first-round pick, it's your number's not too bad with the franchise tag. So, mm-hmm. but I fully believe Jameis will be back next year. There's no reason. What, what quarterback next year is going to be better than him that you can get? Yeah, I, I don't think you can find one. I mean, you can go the free agent route if you wanted to. You're still going to pay an awful lot of money for a Teddy Bridgewater or, you know, is, is Philip Rivers going to shake loose from the Chargers or, or Eli Manning? Newton. I mean, Cam Newton will be out there, I think, for sure. Um, but I don't. I see Cam Newton much the way I do Jameis. Maybe not yeah. as many turnovers, but you a guy You could trade that, for Andy Dalton, but I don't think he's any better. You could. Andy could certainly be out there if the the Bengals maintain the number one overall pick and take a quarterback. I mean, there's there's going to be some guys, there's going to be some dudes, but I I don't think they're prohibitively better than Jameis. They're different. I mean, again, you know, at some point the debate starts to eat you up, and you know, there's Jameis fatigue, and um, you know, I mean, the key is can they win some games this second half of the season? I mean, you look at, uh, and I'm sure we'll be writing about that this week, but but boy, you look at the attendance on Sunday. Steve, they, they announced 40,000, okay? Mm-hmm. We used to get the TSA turnstile count. Now we don't get that anymore. But but on average, that turnstile count was about eight to 10 grand less than the announced attendance. And if you if you kind of take that as you know, for what it's worth, you're talking about barely over 30,000 people in that stadium on Sunday. Now, it was the Cardinals who, you know, don't have a huge following in Tampa, mm-hmm. um, probably don't travel that well right now, being that they've uh, – you know, they're, they're kind of rebuilding. Um, but that said, it'll be a bigger crowd maybe for the Saints. But, you know, the, the fan base, I mean, you know, two and six, having not been here for seven weeks, it's very hard to try to sell that product. Um, so, 
you know, if you bring everybody back and you have a five or six win season and you're saying, oh, no, year two, it's going to be much better in year six with Jameis than it was in year five, and we got year two of Bruce Arians, I mean, that's a tough sell. I mean, the only thing that's going to help them is wins, you know, and they're going to have to show a really good second half, you mm-hmm. know, go five and three, um, minimum four and four, but, uh, you know, five and three, something like that, um, you know, of course, six and two, uh, that, that would, that would create, and I'm not a big proponent of you can carry stuff over, but with a young defense, if it, if you showed improvement in those young players, I think people could at least see the plan and say, okay, if we go back into the draft and we get some defensive linemen, maybe an offensive line, let's address the guys up front on both sides of the ball. Maybe, maybe, you know, with the young guys being in their second and third years, they'll be better. Uh, and they'll they'll both be familiar with the systems on both sides of the ball. Yeah, we got this thing turned in the right direction, sort of the way Tony Dungy did it in ninety ninety six. Um, but but short of that, well, but, it's a tough sell. But you you've hit the nail on the head. Is as much as Jameis is on pace for the twenty four twenty five interceptions, which isn't good. Right. This right. offense is good enough to win games. It's the defense that's losing it. Oh, right? it is. Oh, for sure. It's not for the sure. offense that's the problem. So if, no. if for those who – So why would you get the, rid of that? Why, yeah. yeah, why would you get rid of Jameis when there's not options mm-hmm. out there that you're going, that's better? No. I mean, maybe no. changes of scenery could help, you know, mm-hmm. and improve Jameis a little bit and improve whatever quarterback, you know, you might sign here. But mm-hmm. ultimately, the offense is not what's costing this, this team. Once again, no. it's the defense that – they're giving up. I mean, as as bad as it was last year under Mike Smith, it's, thir- it's worse. It's thirty one points a game, and it's last in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You know, they they have the the you know it's the highest scoring uh, defense in the in the league. And you know, when you're when you're giving up thirty one a game, you're telling your offense, "Hey, just give us thirty two. And that's a that's a tall order for any offense to mm-hmm. say. Well, if we score thirty two, we have a chance. Um, you know, so because that's on average, and you know, and they and by the way. They're the fourth highest scoring offense in in uh, the NFL, so they're scoring twenty eight and a half points a game. So it's not like they haven't pulled their weight. So yeah, it's it's definitely they're playing on a lopsided field. There's no question about about that. To that point, you know, like we uh, Greg Allman and I, we, he was looking up uh, some of these uh, stats, but uh, the comebacks, like how many come, how many fourth quarter comebacks in his career do you think Jameis has been credited with? I nailed it. I it's not as many as you think. So he's played five seasons. He's only had six fourth quarter comebacks, right? Does that Which mean that mean taking the lead, or does that mean winning? No, that means winning. Okay. Like where you okay. took your team down, got I the mean, score. I, I and can you, think of a couple you, games where he's, yeah, he's got them the lead late in the fourth quarter. Well, that, and they that's gave a, it that's up. Yeah, that's a different stat. How many right. times has he given him the lead where they didn't hold it? That's a different stat. Okay, but but as far as fourth quarter comebacks where he. He took them down. They scored and won the game, which means the defense had to hold. Um, there's only six in five years. There are 12 other addition, uh, occasions in those five years where he gave them the lead in the fourth quarter that they didn't hold. Okay? Mm-hmm. So even if he gets half of those, you know what I mean, um, for guys coming out in his draft class or for about his experience, he would be at the top, one of the top quarterbacks in the league that way. You know, I think, like, some of the guys that came a year after him, you know, have four or five. I think Derek Carr probably has the most. I think he's probably around 10 or 11, mm-hmm. somewhere like that. Um, you know, but but I'm saying, like, you know, you can see that Jameis has put them in position to win. Um, they just haven't been any damn good on defense. And then, again, they're young again. 
So, you know, that, that's the problem. They're always, always young, and we've talked about how they spent so many resources and so many draft picks building around Jameis to the exclusion of the defense, uh, and now they have these young guys. But if these young guys grow, um, you know, Vea's getting better each, each week, and uh, we've seen what Shaquille Barrett can do. He would, he would have had another sack on Sunday had they gotten the call right. Uh, as it is, he's got 11 and a half, um, you know, and, and Jameis has done some things that, uh, you know, other quarterbacks. He's- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 19 touchdowns are the most through nine games that the Bucs have ever had. His 2,700 and something yards are the most yards through nine games. I mean, he's he's setting marks offensively for, you know, for – for passing, he had his fourth 300-yard game in a row. That's never happened in Bucks history. Uh, granted, the rules are different, and when you're trailing, you're throwing the ball a lot. But nonetheless, he's managed to put up some numbers, and that's what it's going to be. He's going to have numbers. And so, I mean, they won't commit to him just yet, but they certainly seem like they're leaning that way. And, and, and for all the reasons we just talked about, I, I, I don't think they're going to have uh, many you know, better options. So we'll see where they go with that. But uh, – uh, the coaches do think he's getting better. The two interceptions they weren't really pleased with. They felt they at least went to the right receiver, maybe a little late on a couple throws and, and a good play by one of the defensive backs. Um, and the good thing about the, the Bucks on Sunday was how they were able to overcome those turnovers. I mean, they only Seattle only scored a field goal on those three turnovers because Levante David got the ball right back uh, and, then of course, the Dean interception. So they picked each other up that way. So – that was good to see, but uh, we'll see what they can do against the New Orleans Saints who come in here on Sunday. Uh, one one promising note, if you're a Bucks fan, would be that uh, uh, if you recall the last time the Bucks played in New Orleans, that was Mike Evans getting shut out game. You know, he absolutely had what two targets and zero catches against the Saints, which can't happen. But that was because Marshawn Lattimore did such a good job on him one on one. Well, Lattimore now. Uh, has a hamstring injury, and it's possible that he may not play. So that would be a huge uh, advantage for the Bucks because Eli Apple, who's their, their off corner, their second corner, is not nearly as good, uh, and then you're getting into their depth uh, on the uh, in the secondary. And, of course, I don't think the Falcons helped the Bucks much by uh, going into New Orleans and holding them to nine points. So you're going to have the, the attention of the Saints who you know are trying to keep pace with teams like the 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks in the NFC. So that's going to be, uh, it's going to be a good game. And, um, you know, if the Bucks can, can get something rolling, a big win like that over a, uh, a team in the NFC South that's leading the division right now uh, to, to win two in a row at home could propel you to some kind of winning streak. And maybe they have a really good second half. We'll have to see. Uh, as far as uh, the weekend goes, Steve, we haven't talked about college football, uh, man. I'm telling you, I, I have not had a home weekend to begin with in a very, very long time, as you know, because we've been traveling all for the last seven weeks. It was great to stay home and watch college football. That LSU-Alabama game was as entertaining a game, a college football game, as I have watched from start to finish in a long time. 
That but was it, just great. It was. And, and, you know, the way LSU took it right to Bama from the start, um, mm-hmm. you know, this is a different LSU team than, you know, you're, you're so used to seeing that game. If you remember the last game of the century, it was 9-6 between those two, which was, what, eight seasons ago. Yeah. Um, you know, this game was far from that. And it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's amazing how these teams have, you know, found offenses and prolific ones at that. Um, you know, it was a shame Tua wasn't 100%. You know, I think the game could have started a little differently, perhaps, if he was. But um, LSU, LSU earned that win and deserves it. And, and their resume on, in college footballs is no one can touch that resume. No, not with the wins they have over Florida, over Auburn, um, you know, and now, of course, over Alabama. Yeah, Tua Tagaloa, you know, he played – I mean, it's unbelievable to me that they did this to begin with. But, you know, he had this high ankle sprain. I didn't know you could do this. That would have been a, probably a six-week injury. They went in there and, and, and had surgery. Um, to uh, secure the ankle a little bit better. Uh, and so you could tell that thing was hurting really from the get-go. I thought he was had tremendous guts and mm-hmm. poise to play and, 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 you know, brought them back in the second half. Um, and it was exciting, of course. Um, but LSU, you know, it's not the type of LSU offense we're used to seeing, and that's because Joe Burrow uh, has come in there and has made himself – not only a Heisman favorite, but maybe the number one quarterback or the number one player taken in the draft. I mean, he's been that good. He's made NFL throws, shown tremendous poise, brings his team back over and over again. It was funny. I do this uh, radio show whenever the Bucks play the uh, New Orleans Saints. Uh, a couple occasions, uh, including Bobby Abe, I remember the old Saints quarterback, oh, yes. who's an original Cajun uh, up there in Louisiana. They do a radio show, and they call me. They were talking. They just went on. And they were on and on about LSU so long that I had about three minutes of airtime when they finally got to me. But they were talking about uh, their team and, you know, how proud they are of uh, of what LSU has done and how different they look and all this stuff. And they they were even saying about Joe, but, well, you know, and they're talking this Cajun accent, you know, and they're, well, you know, any time you can get a carpetbagger, like Joe Burrow, we're happy to have those carpetbaggers come from Ohio if they can play like Joe Burrow. <laughs> I was just dying. <laughs> A carpetbagger. <laughs> but uh, they're awfully happy with Joe. Joe's got a little Joe's got a little savvy to him, man. He, he's got a little swag, too. He'll be he's, the Bengals starting be, quarterback next year. He could be. He absolutely right now. They, they got to be proud to, uh, you know, what are they saying? Uh, well, I won't say what they're saying, but. It's not uh, it's not tank for Tua. Let's just say that it rhymes with Joe, but it's not uh, it's not tank for Tua. Uh, but anyway, yeah, this is a rated rated G podcast. Um, so yeah, but that that was a great game, and and I guess the ratings were through the roof. I mean, it was a three thirty p.m. game, but like eighteen million people watched that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, incredible. And then of course, I was flipping back and forth. We were uh, we were watching uh, for a little while at a restaurant where you could see all the games. Congratulations, man! Florida State, no Dell Hagens. This guy hasn't lost. No, I don't. I don't know that he's ever going to be the coach or the, considered for the coaching job. But boy, on an interim basis, and this happens sometimes when you you know you fire a coach. I think the players mm-hmm. understand that uh, it's on them, you know, and that no one's going to blame. Who's going to blame Willie Taggart if they lose? Um, but they. But he did some things at quarterback at different positions and. You know what? They went out there and they played inspired, and I don't think BC is really that good. Um, but but dang it, they got a win, and that was uh, that was big for them. 
Well, it, you know, look, the players can go out there and, and Hagen's too, and you got nothing to lose at this point. No. I mean, your coach is gone. You don't know what the, the program's going to be next year as far as, you know, who's who will be leading it and that. So mm-hmm. just go out there and play. Yeah, have fun. And, and, and you know, there's some of it is too is that you got to feel like, hey, this new coach, whoever he is, mm-hmm. this is the film he's going to be watching. Absolutely. Right? Yep. So if you want to keep your scholarship, if you want to be a Florida State Seminole, might want to go out there and produce, you know. Mm-hmm. Might want to play your brains out just so that you can uh, – you can impress whoever the new guy might be. Now, there's um, probably there's probably some relief may not be the right word because I don't think the players want Willie Taggart gone. Well, but, some do. But, well, and maybe there are, but you mm-hmm. know, but the the questions, the mm-hmm. look, this has been hanging over the program all season. Is Willie Taggart? Sure, it's an, al- it's an albatross. Yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah, you know, sometimes when you can just kind of let go of that talking point or just stuff that's hanging in the background of things. Yeah. It can, it can make things a little easier or a little, you know, or the team can become more focused together because that's finally behind you. This, you know, that's right. As much as it's been talked about in the media, you know, the players hear it, mm-hmm. you know, they may not be watching or listening as much, but they're hearing it from their friends or their family and getting questions. Right. And, you know, so it can, it, it's like I said, relief's not the right word, but it, it can, it can, just you know, kind of put things into focus, and and let's just go out and play football. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, that was good to see that. And then, of course, uh, Florida had no trouble with Vanderbilt. Uh, didn't expect that that would be the case anyway. But uh, um, yeah, so it was a pretty good, pretty good week for uh, for the state of Florida. USF didn't look that great on Thursday night. Uh, yeah, you're right. There's always USF. And it doesn't get any easier with Cincinnati and Memphis as your next two, and then UCF mm. you would finish with. They're not going to win another. They're not going to win another game, right? I mean, that was their last best chance, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they they. I mean, if, you know, if you're going by the odds or the, even the eye test, no, they were not going to win another game. But you right, know, crazy things do happen in college football. But you do get Cincinnati and Memphis at home. No, that's true. Um, I guess anything can happen, but those are better football teams for sure. So we'll see what happens to Charlie Strong and, and his bunch. Meanwhile, uh, your Tampa Bay Lightning, I caught their game on Friday. I didn't catch it on Saturday, although I heard it was even more solid. Uh, from what I was reading, uh, Diana Neros, and we'll get into uh, her news in just a minute, but uh, from what I was reading, um, they may have. you said that they probably played their best game on, on Saturday. I thought Friday was their best game, but I, I, th- Friday, I thought they okay. played well Saturday too. I mean, I thought – they didn't take as many penalties. Um, right. I thought their penalty kill looked a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, the decision-making, just the way they played, I, I, I thought, you know, I don't know if it's the time away, if it was the, you know, practicing, if it's just they finally, finally things are clicking a little bit. But I, I thought they played two good games in Sweden, um, mm-hmm. earned those four points there, which, you know, were needed. And uh, now they get to come home and they get a couple games at home. But, and, and the schedule is going to pick up because they have like the least amount of games played in the NHL, so they got to catch up to everybody. But right, I, you know, I thought you saw a lot of good things in, in those series. That um, just the way they were executing, the way they were moving the puck, uh, decision making process, the you know the penalty kill, all that I thought was much better. Yeah, and you know, the, I we had talked about this a little bit with Diana, um, who covers the the Lightning for the Tampa Bay Times, uh, Diana Neros, and and you know, sometimes when you go away, away, um, you're kind of forced in a situation. They had some time to do some touring and um, that sort of thing. There, there is a bonding process that occurs, um, 
now it can get out of hand and if you don't play well everyone says well you know it was like a, you treated it like a vacation and no one really got anything done but they were able to practice too steve and i wanted to ask you you know during a regular season you don't have a ton of practice time so how valuable was it do you think for their team which has still got some new pieces to be able to get some ice time to practice i mean that's you know that is the one thing with the nhl schedule is there's not a lot of practice you have morning skates and, and you go mm-hmm. through things but that's not a practice I mean, that's right. not where you're getting into heavy things. If you remember a couple of years ago, um, the Lightning were struggling for a while. It was around January. Mm-hmm. You know, it was before they really turned it on. This was two seasons ago. And right. th- it just had a brutal schedule of road trips and back-to-backs on the road. And they had no practice days. And, and they kept saying, we just need to get some practice time. Because there was a lot of yeah. things in their game that just wasn't clicking the way it should. They were winning still a decent amount, but... It wasn't where they wanted it to be. And they kept saying, we just need practice time. We need practice time. And once they finally came off a couple, they went to like the West Coast on two straight road trips, essentially. Had a couple mm-hmm. games in between, but just didn't have a lot of, a lot of practice time. That that's when the bad habits were creeping into their games. And, and sure. the one thing the Lightning has, you know, there, there's, there's a, the reason their start has been slower than maybe a lot expected is – I think they're trying to do things very differently. They're trying to be a lot more defensively responsible. I think if mm-hmm. if there's anything you've seen from what they've taken out of last season was we, we can't just rely right on way. outscoring everybody yeah. every night. That's right. We need to do it differently because come the playoff time, we have to be able to count on our defense and, and stopping mm-hmm. stopping people. And and mm-hmm. so that's what that's if you look at what they've done, that's what their main focus has been, at least to the you know when you watch them play, they're not playing the right. same style as last year. Yes, they're going to score some right. goals. They have, they have tons of talent on the ice, right. but they're they're really trying to be a more responsible team on the back end. Now, early in the season, they've taken too many penalties still, which they keep talking about, which mm-hmm. has hurt them because their penalty kill has not been very good this year. And, and why that is, I mean, you know, is it just because they don't have Girardi and Strawman anymore? But most of the forwards on the pa- the penalty kill are the same and. You know, I, I don't know if it's just some bad luck or if teams are attacking them differently, but mm-hmm. they're trying to play a different style of, of game than they played last year. And I think right. a lot of this has been adjusting to it. But one of the advantages of not playing a lot of games so far this season is they've had a lot more practice time. And maybe that's what finally the, the, the Global Series culminated in is all that practice time, they're finally starting to figure out what their game is this year and what kind of team mm-hmm. they want to be going forward. And that's what you know, we'll see come Thursday against the Rangers and you get Winnipeg in Saturday. We'll see mm-hmm. if it carries over. Right, right. And that's that's going to be the key. But, uh, yeah, so uh, and some news. Uh, congratulations, by the way, to Diana Neros. So while she was in Stockholm, she's still there in Sweden, I believe, um, and we hope to talk to her sometime this week. But, uh, um she took a few days to, uh, you know, to see Sweden and her boyfriend, Stephen Mann. Um, or I guess they've been together for a number of years. He joined her over there to do some sightseeing and whatnot. And so they ended up at this, uh, this beautiful, um, library, I guess it was. Uh, and it's, uh, it's this grand library, uh, Stockholm city library. She's a bit of a, of a bookstore, uh, type and she loves libraries and things like that. So, um, anyway, they met there and it turns out, uh, they had a friend over there that was taking photos of them in the balcony, and then all of a sudden, he dropped to a knee and proposed, and she said yes. So now Diana Neros is uh, engaged, got engaged in Sweden. So how about that for a, a, a trip with the Lightning? Huh? That, hey, that's a heck of a trip to Sweden. <laughs> yeah, right? 
that's memorable. That very um, memorable. That's fantastic. Yeah, more memorable than yeah. it will be for the Lightning. But yeah, congratulations to her and and Stephen and uh, soon to be, I guess, Diana Mann. If that's, if that's who she chooses to take his name. Um, but uh, and some sad uh, news yeah. for the Lightning too. Um, longtime mm-hmm. ice maintenance manager Tom Miracle passed away with uh, with fighting brain cancer. Um, and this is Hockey Fights Cancer uh, Month for the NHL. I yeah. know that uh, the Lightning's Night for that's coming up, and there'll be lots of mm. you know people fighting for him. I'm, you know, it was. I don't think it was a very long battle, but um, yeah, you know, uh, he's been there twenty some years. Wow, um, keeping the ice there and 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 handling that at Amelie Arena, very well loved and beloved by mm. players and all the people that work there and anyone who's ever yeah. come in contact with him. So. Um, yeah. He passed away. Uh, I I don't remember his age off the top of my head, but mm-hmm. uh, very sad. Yeah, we'll keep there. keep his family in your prayers, and then those are the guys, the glue guys of organizations that don't get a lot of a lot of credit or publicity or anything like that. But everybody knows them and loves them, and uh, and wow, that's a long time to spend with the Lightning organization. So we had some uh, also some Major League Baseball awards are being handed out uh, on. Uh, I guess it was Monday night. Uh, the Mets, Pete Alonzo, of course, from Plant High School, no surprise, wins the National League Rookie of the Year. Uh, Well-deserved there. Um, there'll be more coming out tonight, including Manager of the Year. Will Kevin Cash win the American League Manager of the Year? It's him and uh, Rocco Baldelli. And then, um, I guess, the uh, Yankees manager, uh, Aaron Boone. You could make a case for all three. Um, sure. I, you know, Aaron Boone did a wonderful job this year, but to me it's either Cash or Baldelli. Yeah, I mean, you know, well, ca- cash then, with with everything that happened with the Rays team and this, you know, and, and getting to the playoffs. You know, Baldelli mm-hmm. exceeded expectations more than any other team. Yes, um, and a first year manager. So you know, to me, it's one of those two. But um, but Aaron Boone did take the Yankees to 103 wins. So there's a lot of writers who just vote that in by default. So and it, and and the voting, to be clear, is done before the playoffs. I think if mm-hmm. you know. Uh, knowing that uh, you know that the Rays took Houston, the eventual World Series champions, to Game Five, um, you know in their divisional series, that that certainly would have influenced some people. But uh, you know, but Boone and them had a lot of injuries too, um, mm-hmm. so that that was all part of it. But uh, yeah, it'd be a tight race there. But but you know, I think Kevin is definitely deserving. And Brendan Lau uh, took third in the AL Rookie of the Year voting. Mm-hmm. Which uh, you know, I, I, look before he got hurt, he had a shot to oh, win that man. award. Um, oh yeah, he did. You know, the injury really knocked him down. Um, Alvarez from Houston, and then John Means from uh, Baltimore were the top two. Right, cost him a month and yeah. uh, more than know, that. I think he pace. missed. I think he only played about a hundred games. So is that what it was? Yeah. yeah. So he, I mean, he was on pace to hit well over thirty home runs the way mm-hmm. he was uh, the way he had started out. Yep. And Eric Neander wins the Major League Baseball Executive of the Year. How about that? It's the second year for the award. Billy Bean won it last year from Oakland, but name me a general manager that deserves it more than Eric Neander. Yeah, you can't find him. I mean, you signed Charlie Morton. You signed Avisel Garcia, who had a great year. Mm-hmm. Um, the way you've built that bullpen um, and, and just built the team and managed it. I mean, what other GM are you going to give that award to? I mean, I, I, Brian Cashman, you could say a lot. I mean, for the amount of injuries the Yankees had to and had to mm-hmm. deal with and, and the players they signed and, and did, but – uh, Eric Neander to me is that wins that hands down and he did. Yep, yep. So that's a, a great honor for him and uh, you know look as long as they got him still there, um, they're going to do more great things and and uh, bring in more good players and 
you know, I'm sure their expectations will just rise after the success they had, especially in the postseason last year. That was an electric building, by the way, uh, for games, uh, what, three and four. I went to game four mm-hmm. uh, at Tropicana Field, and I think a lot of people – uh, will be influenced by that and want to go back and see this young team continue to progress and uh, who knows, maybe win uh, an AL East title before it's all said and done. So uh, lots going on, of course, this week. Uh, we'll have an opportunity to uh, talk to both uh, coordinators and Jameis Winston later today. And then the Bucks are preparing for their game on Sunday against the New Orleans Saints. As we mentioned earlier, the Lightning uh, host the Rangers Thursday night. So that's coming up as well. So we hope you keep it right here. We're here every Monday through Friday, and uh, we'll be getting you ready with Matt Baker for college football, hopefully hook up with Diana. Uh, Tom she, Jones will uh, be on the podcast later this week too. TJ, that'll be great. Yep. And people love love us to kick it around with uh, my former radio partner from the Pointer Institute. So lots coming up this week. Anyway, we appreciate you guys joining us as always. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. For Steve Versnick, have a great day, everybody. 